Well, Tess, thank you so much for being with us here today. Welcome to the Holy Rose podcast with Rob and I, this sort of uh, new experiment that we're doing at a ministry of the operational team of the Board of Ordering Ministry. And we're just excited to sit down with you, have a conversation as one of our seminarians from the Kentucky Annual Conference, just to touch base, hear how life is going and kind of your dreams for the future. So thanks for being here. Uh, Wondering if if just um, off the bat for those of us who don't know you, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe where you're from and how you got here to Kentucky, although you're not recording from Kentucky right now. (laughs) But just tell us a little about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So for those that don't know, my name is Tess Welch. I grew up in Houston, Texas, but I was raised by Midwesterners, so I have some weird Midwestern qualities that uh, is not native to Texas. And then after I graduated high school, I went to Western Kentucky University, go tops, on a debate scholarship. Um, they have a really good debate team and it was a really fun experience. And through that, I was raised United Methodist, except for the first seven years of my life when we had a stint uh, in Southern Baptist Church. And then my mom felt a call after getting cancer that she was called to a different church. And that was the local United Methodist Church. And I think that's really where my call kind of started. Um, once I was at Western, I got involved with the Wesley Foundation. And then through that, connected with Shannon Boaz, who was the senior pastor of Scottsville First United Methodist Church, which is where my membership currently resides. Okay. Very yeah, cool. Yeah. Let, let's break our already. Um, tell me okay. about that mascot for WKU. I mean, what is that thing? <laughs> I went to one, I used to pastor in Owensboro, Kentucky, and I had a lot of church members who would go to WKU games. And I just thought, what in the world is that thing jumping around? Like a big red blob of sorts. It's a hill. Big red? Big yes, red. exactly. Big <laughs> red is the spirit of the hill. <laughs> Have you ever seen those awesome commercials of Big Red where he's like, you know, from sports, uh, from ESPN or whatever, and it's like he does, and people are trying to figure out what he is, but he's Big Red. Have you not seen these commercials? No, I need okay. to look it up. You keep going. I didn't go there. You did. Keep keep telling us about it. Yeah, Big Red is the spirit of the hill. Uh, Big Red can turn into things, apparently. Like, legend is that Big Red can be a jaguar that looks red or It's a shapeshifter. It is, but... The mascot never shapes, shifts. The shape stays the same. Uh, It looks like, oh gosh, what's its name? From McDonald's. It's a grimace. purple one. Yes. Yes. It's It's like a red grimace. The red blob. So I have to say my husband went to Western and he ran cross country and track there. And Mm. um, I did not go there. And, And so I remember we weren't even married yet. And I think the first like real fight that we actually had was because I started to make fun of Big Red. <laughs> oh my god! Like, what even is it? It's a Big Red Blob. And he got very serious and was like, no, that's not okay. <laughs> and I was like, oh, all right. So I now we respect Big Red in our yeah. house. Please do not send the Holy Rose podcast any hate mail, you Big Red <laughs> fanatics. Um, we understand. We appreciate. And I don't understand. Never mind. I don't we know if I even appreciate you. it, but we'll we'll keep on going. Sorry. No, yeah. that's okay. That's good. Um, I just love hearing about. Um, didn't realize that you were raised in the United Methodist Church. Um, what? So in Texas, what was that mm-hmm. local church or what? Uh, what annual conference? There's like five, right? That's a good question. I believe it was the Texas annual conference. Okay. 
I did not learn about annual conferences until I was in Kentucky, though. So my like really understanding of Methodist polity is Kentucky seated and rooted and grown. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very cool. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. My mom. So my mom, we started going there because she had friends. It was closer uh, after one has gone through chemotherapy and radiation, driving to the bigger church uh, 30 minutes away in Houston traffic wasn't feasible. But the United Methodist Church that was seven minutes away was definitely, um, that was definitely something that worked. And she had friends that went there. After like a, it was a couple months of her attending, she got involved and started working there part time as a worship service producer. So she produced the contemporary service at 930, which meant that I was not a pastor's kid, but I was at church every Sunday and was there before and after service, helping out with things, um, which I think is a part of all of it too. So I love church because it was a place where I could run around with my sister and people loved me and cared about me. And that can give a lot of hope to our pastor's kids, those of us who have children and then staff members who have children too, that it can work out all right. Right. This test is an example. It can work out all right. They can still have a good time. They enjoy church and they still want to be a part of church. Still want to be there. I pray that Mm -hmm. for my two year old son all the time. Like, please look, do not let him just disappear or hate this thing that I'm involved in. Yes. Right. I mean, that's that's a very good encouragement for me to hear. Yeah, absolutely. I've been seeing the oh, so funny pastor jokes since the snow happened recently of Mm. them putting their kids to work and shoveling the church sidewalks and everything. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. These are definitely days where you take your kid to work kind of thing. Cause I had my son with me for a snow day yesterday. NTI is supposed to be an instructional day. And Mm. uh, we were sitting across the table from each other, one on his Chromebook and me on my laptop trying to get some stopping every five seconds for something, but we were doing it. (laughs) We were doing the bless those PKs. Uh, yeah, well, I just, if you're willing, love to hear more, um, just about your call to ministry. I know you said you kind of, your involvement, um, at Scottsville and getting to know Shannon Boaz. And I imagine she was just a phenomenal mentor in that Mm -hmm. season. Um, Wesley foundation, um, just, was there a particular moment where you just felt called, like, this is what I know that God wants me to do with my life or has it kind of evolved over time? Yeah, that's. A really good question. I don't have like a big moment where my heart was like strangely warmed or I heard God tell me to take off my shoes from a burning bush. Uh, But I do have distinct memories of my childhood that I don't have any like equivalents for. Hmm. When I was in elementary school, I was listening to the sermon and my pastor said something like he always knew he was going to be a pastor. It just took him a while to realize it. And like me in my late elementary school, early middle school, I remembered that and I remember no sermons from that church. And, but like that moment, time stopped. I remember like looking around and the other kids I was sitting with, like were doing the same drawings or whatever else we were working on. And so that was, I had, I was holding that coming into college and like going to the Wesley Foundation, I quickly joined leadership and wanted to be involved. And that was one of the discernments that I was trying to do, like I just kind of put in my head. So PK sort of staff kid thing. My mom did the good thing saying that you don't have to work for a church to be a good Christian. Mm. Phenomenal idea. We should be teaching our kids that. But for a person that is called to ministry, that kind of works opposite of what the Holy Spirit is rooted Mm. in her. Um, So I just had 
been told so much that like the ministry of laity matter and that whatever I do in the world, I would be ministering to mm-hmm. people that God has made. And yeah. I thought that that meant that I was going to be a teacher and that I felt called to teach. And I still view that as part of my call. It's just not in a school. And so holding that and getting opportunities, like getting to work at a local church, I just, I was getting so much encouragement from people outside of me and my prayers. I just felt so empowered and emboldened to do this work. And there was no voice telling me no. Mm-hmm. Like everything was just like, yes, keep going. Yeah. And I liked it. Like if I wasn't meant to do it, there would be things that would come up. I've been in spaces I wasn't supposed to be in and the spirit made it very clear. Uh, but the path just, it just makes sense. And it's brought me to be a certified candidate in the South Central District. And now I'm here at Candler in my second year. Yeah, in your second year. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so we had a submitted question from a, a colleague of ours, the wonderful oh. Ashley Taggett Evans, mm-hmm. who Ooh. wants to ask why Candler is the best divinity school seminary mm. ever. Uh, Rob and I would like to amend that question. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Strongly amend. And we would like to amend it by asking, why didn't you go to Duke? Uh, you know? mm. <laughs> no, yeah. I, I'm kidding. <laughs> Slightly. Slight, maybe. Slightly. Yeah, we're Don't you want to be a blue devil after you were a hilltopper? Yeah. You know, it's yeah. making yeah. it even more confusing. And so go- Candler even have a mascot? Well, sure they the do. Emory Eagles. The Emory the Eagles. Eagles. Right. There you go. It's a connected Emory. That's okay. Um, yeah. So why Candler though? Can you tell us that question real quick? Why not Duke? Can be a part of that <laughs> if you'd like. Um, but why Candler? I did make a pro cons list uh, and it was Duke Candler and it was color coded as well. Okay. Uh, okay that was me 10 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Between Duke and Candler. I did. Okay. Yeah. And Candler had more green than red compared to Duke. But like... So it was a nitty gritty uh, pro cons list, like what flew direct to home, which mm-hmm. the Raleigh airport does not fly direct to Oklahoma City, but Atlanta mm-hmm. does. Uh, the chapel at Candler, while I do love it and I've had great moments in it, Duke's just wins. Mm-hmm. But it's Duke's classroom building compared to Candler's classroom building. So I was like, oh, buildings are a wash. So it was, it was really in depth. I don't know how in depth you were, Rachel, but... <laughs> Well, so I, can I everything. Yes. And I went, I specifically remember the annual conference took a group of us. We were juniors and seniors in college. This was the weekend I met mm-hmm. Scott Woodburn. Nice. And we were in a 15 passenger van driven by Lolita Cows. Nice. And they paid for us <laughs> to visit Candler and then Duke the next day. And so we met at mm-hmm. Crestwood. We drove to Atlanta first and then we drove to Durham or maybe the other way around. And I was stressing over it in the car. Mm. I mean, I remember Lolita was riding shotgun at that point, And I was in the first seat of the bench. I'm 21 years old. And I'm like, got my notes out. And I'm like, what about <laughs> this? Because Lolita went to, John and Lolita went to Duke. Mm. And she, bless her, she was so patient and so kind and just talked through it. Okay. But I, I was very detailed. And I imagine, you know, Josiah Brock's in the car. Scott Woodburn's in the car. I just imagine them being like, oh, my gosh, will someone just kick her out <laughs> at the next stop? So I did get very detailed. Uh, but for me, it was resistance to moving away from home at all. Because mm. I also looked at Vanderbilt, which, mm-hmm. you know, that hilltopper that I was talking about, I was dating him at the time and he was in Bowling yeah. Green, you know, yeah. things like that, that also kind of had uh, played into it. But um, yeah, but tell us like, how has it been? You're a year and a half, you're halfway through your MDiv program. How are you enjoying Candler? Um, what what classes are you taking right now? We'd just mm. love to hear about it. Yeah, uh, Candler has been 
really great. It's it dawned on me because when I finished my first year, it was 33% done, which feels so minimal. But then mm -hmm. a semester later, it was halfway done. Yeah. And I've now done more theological education than I will in the near future. And that mm -hmm. was like, oh, this went really fast. People mm -hmm. said that was going to happen. And I didn't know it. Um, I didn't have the same issues with moving like I did with my undergrad. Because my undergrad, I moved from Houston to Bowling Green, which yeah. was quite a bit of ways. Yeah. But I kind of been in a routine and my parents like we know how to call each other and like what communication styles work the best and so I also moved into an intentional living community which meant that I didn't nice. move into a big city with no one mm -hmm. I moved in to a big city with a house with four other roommates and they were all a year above me or more and so the questions I had as soon as I moved and the nervousness of like what if no one likes me uh, will will I do this well? Like, am I smart enough? I hadn't, I didn't major in religion in undergrad. I majored mostly in special education and then switched to interdisciplinary studies my last semester. But I was worried that I wasn't going to fit in. And yeah. that, that community has really been transformational, uh, just like in being able to be together and the rhythms of life of seminary together. We're all in different steps in the ordination process as well. So just the community at Candler has been my favorite part. I love classes. I'm a big learner. Yeah. I have the syllabus printed on the first day and I sit in the front row. Uh, but I still, it, as great as the classes have been, the community has been my favorite part. And I've met some of my best friends here. But the classes, phenomenal. This semester, I took an intensive with uh, Reverend Dr. Michael Beck from the Florida Annual Conference. Okay. Uh, I know he... Michael very well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, there you go. Yep. <laughs> there you go. I'm originally from Florida, if, if folks yes, know that. Yes, yes, um, How was that? Yeah. Well, what class, what intensive was it? So it was an intensive on innovation in the church mm -hmm. through a movement called Fresh Expressions. Rob, I think you've mentioned it on the podcast before. I have, but, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Beck just is really a big leader and writer and is led many of these different ways of doing church in the community and with different types of folks that our traditional or inherited church doesn't always do the best job of reaching. And so it was one of those classes that is like, here's what you've been learning in seminary, but also look at the door over here. Yeah. And that like there is goodness that is happening here and that all of it is incarnational love. Mm -hmm. And so that it was it was great. I'm on like the high of that class because it's yeah. some of the classes are so head focused. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of memorization and dates and this theologian thought that but argued with this one and yeah. it's a lot <laughs> and I like it, but it's not my favorite. And so this kind of like practical, like what would you do sort of question um, yeah, was awesome. something I'm really holding on to. Well, and I feel like the first, at least for us at Duke, the way the coursework was laid out, it was like the first half was all of that like intense, you know, doing New, New Testament, you know, Old Testament, uh, church history, church history, a full year church mm -hmm. history, and then theology. But then once you get, then it's like become the second half becomes like the practical stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, you get into the Methodist polity, but you also get into preaching or you get into mm -hmm. even Christian mm -hmm. ethics was more of that kind of application of the theology we've learned. And I found the second half after I didn't study theology in undergrad either. And I was also very nervous of this sort of learning curve. So like mm -hmm. the first semester, the first year was the worst. Mm -hmm. Then after that, it just it just gets more and more fun, I think, by the end of it. Yeah, and yeah. It does definitely build upon you. I did study religion in, in undergrad. 
uh, and music and philosophy. That was kind of my my nice. three kind of funness. But then, but it is a language curve, right? When you yes. first enter into there, you are speaking a completely different language that I think is a gift to the world. And so we can't mm-hmm. ignore that. But it is difficult. <laughs> I mean, I, especially if you're taking a, a language on top of that, whether it's Greek or Hebrew. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have flashcards upon flashcards all over your house, right? At that point, to be able to get that, it's a huge learning curve. Um, yeah. Fun fact I- about about Michael. Michael and I started our Fresh Expression journey at the same time. So we met at Warren Mills mm-hmm. Camp and both became Fresh Expressions pioneers at that point. It was also my connection to the Kentucky Annual Conference because I met Paul Brunstetter, who is the New Church Development Director at that time. And he had brought some Kentucky folks down, um, a part of that. I had just came back to Florida from going to Duke and I knew I was dating this person named Molly who was from Louisville, Kentucky. And I wanted to have that kind of transition at some point. I, I heard all Kentucky girls just want to return back to Kentucky. And so yeah, maybe. I <laughs> wouldn't ignore that for too long. Um, but yeah, that was my, my first introduction to uh, Fresh Expressions was with Michael there at the point into Kentucky. So it, both all those things hold a special place in my heart. So I, that's, I, that's really awesome neat. that Candler offered that to their students that kind of good practical divinity of, hey, this is what theology can look like mm-hmm. in the public sphere. And here are some challenges that you will face going forward on making the kingdom of God a reality in our communities. Well, I think Fresh mm-hmm. Expressions is on the forefront of yeah. how that happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like just in this moment too, which we'll get to probably later, but in this moment of like how we do church, like this side of whatever you want to say, whether it's COVID or general conference or whatever, like we all need to be thinking like church innovators, like church planters and, and, you know, going, you know, you, the language that you used was so beautiful of like the incarnational love of like Mm -hmm. all of these good things that are happening. And they're outside of these traditional models that we've grown up in and been taught are the only way they can be done. And as young leaders too, we face a lot of that. You know, we face a lot of that tradition of this is the way that it's always been done, whether it's in the institution or in the local church or at the denominational level. And so the fact that, you know, that's what it's going to take is we all need to be doing fresh expressions, right? We all need to be thinking like innovators. Um, That's a hard skill for me to learn. but Because typically it's not taught. Typically, it's, typically not, it's, it's not, not taught in our seminary. But, but, but it is but a Candler. You have... Okay, okay. We'll admit it. We'll uncomfortable with it. Candler's but. doing some cool things. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Hey, tell me more. I want to go back to some theology because I'm a nerd, right? Oh, oh that's okay. okay. I'm going to get a drink. <laughs> so, <laughs> a drink. Out of our new... Uh, speaking of which, mm. Rachel, I'm glad yes. you point that out. It's These coffee are, in my cup. <laughs> good also to point out. This is coffee in our cups and our new... Holy Rose Podcast coffee mugs. Can you see that, my friend? This is our ad break, Ministerial yeah. Services of the it, Kentucky Annual Conference. I can you... kind of see something. I can tell they are white mugs, though. Okay. And they have some sort of logo. But okay. I could not read it to you. So we'll send you one. I test. trust you. We'll, we'll send you we'll one. Send you this one. is uh, Holy Rose Podcast fans. If you are a fan of the podcast, be sure to leave that review and that comment and yep. a like and that share. If you would like merchandise, hey, let us know. Let, Let us, us know. know. Make some demands and we'll make it happen. My Venmo is <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Go Show back up the, the annual conference. Everyone's in Holy Roast Witch. Oh, oh my man. gosh. What a dream. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's hit a table, Rob. Then we will have really arrived. <laughs> well, then we're professional. Then we're professional. Yeah, tables. <laughs> Going back to theology. Um, so I want to know, you're at a great institution called Candler. How has your theological perspective evolved or deepened your time in seminary? Like, 
what has just changed within you the way that you think about God and other people? Has it changed and evolved? If if yes, I'm sure it has. What has that been like for you? Hmm. It definitely has changed. And I would hope that everyone that seeks education or even not just like in their own personal growth, like develops and learns and gets to grow further. Uh, Theology is meant to be played with and to uh, be explored. And I feel like I didn't have any intentional things that I would have called theology in my journey. Like I, I learned Bible things, but I didn't know some of like the interpretation that was done. And I probably would have at one point in my life said that like, I don't have a specific theology, Hmm. which is just wrong. I believe that everyone has a theology. There is no such thing as like a universal interpretation. Sure. Um, And so a part of that has been able to like learn more before Candler, where I learned the most theology was at Camp Lucon. Whenever we would like learn what we were teaching our kids, mm-hmm. what is like appropriate to say, like it's maybe not the best thing to say God gives his hardest battles to his strongest soldiers. And like some of those yeah. things that like people do say, but like what is the impact and what does that mean in someone's development um, that adults can handle. But like when we rear our kids, we ought to take in intention in that. So yeah. since being at Candler, I've kind of had the veil pulled back of like, look, you have been doing theology and Mm -hmm. here's what you would say, but here are other things that you would do. And, you know, like you can say and believe that everyone is an image of God created in God's image. And we have to treat people that way and treat ourselves that way. Mm -hmm. But then there are things that I was doing that wasn't treating myself the way that I would want, like all people who are created in God's image to be treated. Yeah. And so theology has become embodied. It's real to me now. It's not this like distant concept and it's important and it's something that matters. Uh, I did CPE this past summer, which is clinical pastoral education. For those that don't know, most people who are ordained in Kentucky do know that because it's a requirement we hold. And that's where it also became real. Like I had never, my roommate asked me and he's Kevin Lazarus. He's in uh, the PhD program at Candler studying disability ethics and Christian ethics. And yeah. he, he asked me, would you pray for healing? And I was like, if someone asked me to pray for healing, of course I would. But I'd never considered what did it mean for someone? He is disabled too. That's something he identifies as. And so if someone were to pray for healing for him, that would be an act of, that would be harm done to him. Yeah. And so to kind of carry a more intentional and my prayers have gotten deeper and specific and they feel real and authentic to me and not just kind of like a rote repetition or what I'm supposed to say. Yeah. Yeah. I love the idea of that embodied theology test. Mm -hmm. I I think that that, gosh, that is so encouraging to me and, and Rachel can speak to this too, that, that are younger folks, I'm saying younger folks. So I'm in my last year of being a young clergy. I'm 35. <laughs> I'm about to age out to be an old fogey with the rest of them. Um, but <laughs> 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 um, I got 16 months left. Oh, embrace it. 
But I love that because I, I think that is so important. And being on the board of our ministry, Rachel and I both are, like we love to I we love to hear that and love mm-hmm. to see that to say this is something real to me and this is something that yes, I intellectually think through as you should. That's a new language being developed, is a new kind of connection to each other. But it's also the way that we are able to engage in this lived outness mm-hmm. with other people yeah. in our neighborhood and communities and world. Yeah. Um, that is so important. We can't just be stuck behind our books, but we also can't ignore our books either. You know, that's yeah. that kind of goes yeah. hand in hand together. Yeah. And so I love, love that. Has there been anything you've changed your mind on Ooh. that comes to your mind that since being at Canley, you're like, actually, I used to think this. But now through further study or through relationship with another human being or a relationship with creation itself, I now think this way on that. Is there anything that comes to your mind when it comes to that? Yeah, I think that, so there's lots of things that come to mind. I feel like like your first day you're learning things that are like, what? Um, Just like mind blown. Sorry, you can't see me, but I am doing this mind blowing (laughs) action with the hands on the head. Um, coming out. We yeah, heard that, it. It was good. Yeah, I thought, yeah, but I thanks for it. talking through it, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I would say that one of the thing that comes to mind, I did my systematic class with Dr. Kendall Solon, who mm-hmm. is an ordained elder in the United Methodist Church, I think the Virginia Annual Conference, and he's one of the leading systematic theologians of the United Methodist Church right now. Mm-hmm. And his talking about atonement and the different like theories of atonement he is explicit that is at one mint meaning that we are at Mm -hmm. one with god and just kind of what do we hear often but like what are the different theories that scripture justifies that there are different pictures we get from scripture and that it may not just be this one theory Uh, one of the ones that was particularly impactful is the it's an early church's theory called Christus Victor, mm-hmm. uh, which views Jesus as victorious and looks at um, what cannot be assumed, cannot be healed. I forget who said that, yeah. some early church theologian. But when God, when Jesus, God the Son died and then rose from the dead, Jesus then defeated death. There's nothing else that can separate mm-hmm. us. And so that kind of, it is a battle metaphor that, may not be as applicable to us now, but just kind of knowing that like everything is now like is under Christ's dominion and yeah. that includes us. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Was that Anselm? I think it was because I, well, I just like was transported back into uh, Dr. Warren Smith's class mm. on talking about that in church history. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love that of like into like the raising, is that the same where like the raising of the cross into the air was like the, the spiritual, uh, space. It was like so that the cross has a victory over all in kind of this spiritual warfare kind of thing. Maybe not. Sounds good. <laughs> Sounds good. What you said sounded a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> She's still in it. You know, She's we're still in it. We're getting old. Yeah. Aged out. <laughs> We've forgotten we more. Than dust off the cobwebs up there. I, yeah. I love that. That's a perfect example, I think, of ways that we can learn and grow through theological education, right? The things yes. that we brought into this are still important to us and foundational mm-hmm. to who we are. But our whole journey should be a journey itself. And that journey should, if we're paying attention to the Holy Spirit, be one of 
continual change, um, that we're constantly evolving into the kind of the good, beautiful creation that God has created us to be. And so that's, that's beautiful. Uh, I will say there's a, a local church, uh, that's a great resource for the local church that we, we want this podcast to be kind of helpful for them. McGray de Vega published a book called savior, and it goes through six different atonement theories. That's perfect for Lent. Um, so if you, Pastors, if you're working on your Lenten uh, study and sermon series, McGray de Vega's Savior would be one that got, that talks through each one of them, and yeah. I highly recommend it. Yeah, yeah. I just also love, too, how you were talking about, like, we're all operating uh, according to a certain worldview, yeah. uh, our own theology of, of whether it's from our families or our church or how we've been raised or just how we see the world in ourselves. Um, but I feel like, for me, theological education gave me the language mm-hmm. Mm. to to say what it was that I actually believed. It was like I didn't yeah. realize it until then because I grew up here in Louisville and United Methodist Church, but a, you know, still part of the Bible Belt. So we would go to these youth rallies that were really more, mm-hmm. you know, reformed or Southern Baptist. And then I went to the non-denom box church in college and they all looked at me like, you want to be a what? Yeah. You know, um, we don't, what? And I was surrounded <laughs> by all these very sweet, passive Christian women that I just loved dearly, but there, I just, I, I was like, why am I not fitting in here mm-hmm. until I got to, to Duke? And it was like, I finally had the words yeah. to be able to say like, this is what I believe or, or challenging some, some of these worldviews. Um, that is such a gift. I love how you said that a gift mm-hmm. of theological education. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and for me, chaplaincy was like just phenomenal and, and walking into those spaces and, and what does it mean um, what, what does it mean to, to embody the presence of Christ in, in that space, these people in their kind of deepest, darkest moments and, and praying for healing. Um, someone we went to Duke with just released a book on disability ethics too, but, mm-hmm. um, Sarah, yes, Barton, did. Sarah Barton, Sarah Barton, yep. oh, wow. Where'd that come from? Old dog, do. new tricks. Yeah. Sarah <laughs> Barton. And it just, the church yeah. is so behind in that, you yeah. know, the church is yeah. so far behind and thinking through some of that. And, and what does a beloved community at one, you know, together yeah. really look like? And so I'm really, I'm just so encouraged to hear you like finding life, you know, and, and purpose and kind of exploring mm-hmm. some of those topics too. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah. I, another question for your test. I do love the aspect and you talked about community of like the classes are really, really great and learning an immense amount of truth and, and challenge and curiosity as a part of that. But but you also really love the community there at Candler and the conversations, whether it's with your housemates or the wider university um, there at Emory, I'm sure it's, is, uh, gosh, such a gift for you. I wonder, what is there a pressing debate or is there a pressing issue that's really reverberating around those walls inside or outside of those walls within the city? And should the church be talking about it right now? You know, what, what, does something come to your mind? What issue or debate is going around and, and how do we as a church engage in that kind of conversation? Now, my mind with the, the disability right there could certainly yeah. be one yeah. of the examples you can, you can use that. Or is there another one that comes to your mind? Yeah. So there's two and we've already mentioned disability. So I want to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, so the intentional Christian community I live in has a partnership with a nonprofit called Large Atlanta, mm. which uh, oh, is with yeah. folks with um, disabilities, intellectual disabilities. And I'm sure mm. Rob and Rachel, they're nodding because there's a friendship house at Duke. Mm-hmm. So both Duke yep. and Candler now have these court sort of uh, relationships with communities of folks of all across disability and ability. Okay, another check for Candler. Cool, they're doing cool things. <laughs> yeah, that's right, that's right. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, and so I 
get to be in intentional living with my seminary roommates and we engage in weekly meals and just we we studied Nancy Eastland's book The Disabled God this summer um, kind of the first person uh, she herself is disabled and kind of talked about like what does it mean for Jesus to bear scars and how she finds hope in the breaking of bread in communion and that sacrament and sort of there's all these metaphors we use for disabilities like sin and bad in church but there's a lot of hope within it as well that's not something that's really a debate though like you said um rob there is kind of a challenge to be better but a lot of the people at candler are being reared in a way that hopefully will uh, the next generation of pastors and staff members and advocates is going to be people that desire inclusion um, and for folks with disabilities to be people that are both ministered to but have the opportunity to minister to us in a way that isn't purely because they have a disability but because they themselves are an image of god and can make statements about god as well yeah Um, so there's that that. emory also is a kind of at this hub of talking about Israel-Palestine. Atlanta has had plenty of marches to happen. There have been protests on campus. Uh, There's been a lot of discussions, too, about what the church's role is in this. Uh, We've done a lot of harm um, in this kind of conflict. And so part of it, I had to give a sermon in my preaching class last year or last semester, and my TA really encouraged me to kind of think out of the box and to do something that I wouldn't normally do, which is comment on politics. That is not something that I often do, but to talk about how we as the church are either ignoring this conflict or just prayers for peace. Mm. But there are a lot of ways in which like our trips to the Holy Land do harm and not recognizing like Palestinians right now, they're like violence going on, the Mm -hmm. active genocide um and so there's been a lot of debates and ways to like for how to make that happen and have productive conversations that don't just devolve to screaming matches Mm. because there have been screaming matches that have happened and things that have been unproductive so emory has a policy even that anything that could have a potential for protest has to be approved and so when candler our student body wants to hold sort of like a workshop. We intended to do it for Martin Luther King Day, but uh, there's a lot more planning that needs to go on in something that has the possibility for um, pushback than it would be yeah. to just like, yeah, here's a prayer workshop. Yeah. Yes. Um, so how would you how would you recommend us as local church pastors who engage in those kinds of conversations, right? I mean, mm-hmm. and to where it doesn't devolve into shouting matches, right? But how would you recommend that to us of how to engage in that? Mm. That's a good question. Uh, so I've met with a couple of the faculty at Candler just for like my own personal questions. Why, you know, they're, they're experts. So surely they can give me um, tips and tricks, which mm. a lot of it was like, there's books to read, but also this <laughs> why is good things. And if we don't always get the answers we want, um, and Dr. Ryan Bonfilio, who does work, he does trips to the Holy Land, but does so with Palestinian Christian companies mm-hmm. and looks more so at the conflict than a form of like spiritual tourism yeah. uh, that works more so to be like, 
there's problems that are going on. Um, and his first step and encouragement to me was to learn. Yeah. How did Israel come about? Uh, there's violence in that. What has the state policy been? There's And the ability to articulate that there's been wrongs on both sides. Mm -hmm. Something that's interesting at Kendler, uh, Dr. Jacob Wright is a member of faculty and he is Jewish. Uh, there are people of other religions at Emory, but at Candler, typically it's folks that are Christian and different yeah. denominations of that. But he's a Jewish member of faculty and was able to explain to our class last semester that there's just a lack of saying that it was wrong, that like, mm. this is not okay. And he is a Jewish man has said, and what Israel is doing, I'm not in support of. Yeah. But no one has said that the harm that's been done to my community, my family has been, is wrong. And so there's just kind of this like tension. Um, and so there's really a need for prophetic preaching to be able to say, we kind of have this kind of code for how we talk and what's appropriate and what gets approved. But then also to just be able to say, this is not okay. Yeah. yeah. This is not what Jesus would support. And yeah, there's a lot of ignorance within our church. Yeah, um, I love how you said yeah. you start with learning because I feel like, you know, I had like a service of prayer and worship that, you know, right that week in October, right when this most mm -hmm. recent skirmish kind of started. And, and so we prayed, uh, we prayed mm -hmm. for peace, but it was, you know, we, I, I feel like so many of us don't know enough to really understand all the dynamics and all of the, which what makes it just evolve into just screaming debate, you know, mm -hmm. matches, screaming yeah. matches. It's because mm -hmm. it's just so complex and complicated and nuanced. It's like, oh, that feels like a mess and I don't even want to touch it. Mm -hmm. But is that really mm -hmm. the faithful thing to do as spiritual leaders of our communities yeah. of trying to get them to think critically and not in line, you know, what does um, Martin Luther King Jr. say of like the church is supposed to be the conscience of the government, not the, you know, not, you know, calling, you know, sort of the, that prophetic voice, not necessarily mm -hmm. just like always in line and accepting everything is on board. Every, yeah. And so it's so, so complicated. Um I found uh, Rabbi Danya Rutenberg. I don't know if you know mm. her, but she's Jewish rabbi, obviously. And and her blog and how she's shared a few things over the past couple months has been really, really helpful for me. Um, she wrote a book called On Repentance and Repair um, mm. in the Jewish tradition, kind of this process of repentance and, and how not just individuals and communities, but like whole nations and governments can can have reconciliation and her work is just beautiful. I did it for Linton series, actually. Um, but her most recent work talking about this this struggle has been really helpful for me in kind of naming some of these things are just not okay on, on all sides of this. Um, yeah. I, I, I remember having a conversation with one of my church members um, or having these, these great discussions. And there's a lot of upheaval in the United Methodist Church currently, right? And have been for the last couple of years. And... Yeah she came up to me and she was angry and I was like, Oh gosh, here we go again. Right. <laughs> Talking about what's going on. And, uh, I, I don't drink and, and, <laughs> of coffee. And then, and I don't, I don't honestly, I don't shy away from those conversations in preaching or in my, uh, prayers or in my classes. Like I, I think if the church isn't talking about it, we're doing a great disservice to our members, right? right? We're doing a great disservice, obviously to the Because they are talking about it, just yeah. not here, you That's know, right. just not at the theological lens. Yeah. That's right. 
And she came up and she was super angry. And I was like, gosh, here we come. And she goes, I'm angry that we're just now talking about this. And she's (laughs) like, we have never been able or had a, a forum or maybe even the trust to engage in these kinds of conversations. Um, and so my challenge to pastors is, yes, we we have to gain trust to be able to engage yeah. in conversations, but we also have to engage in space and proximity to do these conversations as mm. well. And we cannot shy away from it because they're going to learn. And like we're going back to your comments earlier, Tess, about theology. We all have a theology. We all have a mm-hmm. worldview, a lens in which we view creation and other people in, and, and they're going to get it from somewhere, whether it's their favorite yeah. news source of choice. Whether it's, uh, you know, whatever blog or, or they're going to get it from Facebook. And we cannot shy away from engaging in conversations that actually matter. Yeah. Um, so thank you, Tess, for bringing that up because yeah. we have to talk about it and we have mm-hmm. to preach about it. Yes, we need to be careful. We need to be intentional on the ways that we do it. We need to be faithful, I believe, mm-hmm. to the scriptural text and the worldview in which we are able to view it through. Yeah. But... That doesn't give us off the hook to say nothing at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember I, I have two two of my closest friends from Duke are both Episcopal priests up in the Northeast, and one has a really really good friend who's Jewish, and and just felt really hurt early on by you know some of my friends' comments in her church, and and she just asked me, she's like, "What do you think our role is in this as clergy mm-hmm. and, and spiritual leaders?" You know, and I'm like, "Well, I, I think it's trying to get people to to think critically about yeah. it." Just to think just about any issue, right? If we're trying to give them the tools and part of that is learning, like you said, part of that is creating space of trust. Mm -hmm. Part of that is being, you know, proximity to our neighbors who are in need or who might think differently from us to expand that worldview and not just Mm -hmm. to anything, but to be more like Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Of of his teachings and his way and his path of like, that's, that's the sanctification, right. Of, of Mm -hmm. growing in grace and humility and love to become more like Christ. Right. Like mm. that's that's the business that we're in. It's not a business. That's the goal. Amen. Yeah. And and I yeah. feel like it's it's overwhelming at times because it is so contentious and there's so much upheaval. And, and with all my church has been through, it's like, oh, I just can't I can't do one more thing. Yeah. Yeah. But that's that's what the local church is. That's yeah. that's being a spiritual guide, leader, pastor. That's the yoke we put them on ourselves. It is right? the yeah. yoke of obedience. Yeah. Here yeah. we are. But that that's creating space in the world for people to learn how to be more like Jesus, to yeah. to have conversations with people who look and think and and, and vote differently than them. Yeah. They're bound together in the spirit, right? Yeah. Um so I really appreciate you bringing that up because that is probably not something either Rob or I would have. Yeah. Um yeah. but it's so true. It's so true. Yeah. Yeah. So one, la- one last question for our, our final segment of the podcast. What is your hope for the future of the United Methodist Church? You're in seminary in a very strange season of life. <laughs> Let's just name that, right? We've been yeah. talking about it. Let's talk about it. You know, so about. it's it's weird. And, and you have a lot of, I would say, bravery behind you and boldness to still yep. continue and to continue on that path towards ordination too. I give you a lot of kudos. It would be a hard time to do that right now. What is your hope? for the future uh, of the United Methodist Church and and help us because we need to be able to see that hope. And I think our listeners are, are in desperate need to hear that as well. So what's your hope for the future of the United Methodist Church? This is a big question and there are like so many different directions my mind goes. 
the first, the like overall umbrella is I hope that the United Methodist Church becomes more like the church that God is calling us to. Because mm-hmm. um, there's no church that I believe is the imagined church that we see in scripture that Jesus is calling us to. There's the real church and the imagined church. It's a distinction that Ted Smith talks about. He's a faculty member at Candler and just kind of like, there is this distinction and this gap. And I hope that our our journey in our future is closing that, that it is yeah. listening to the movement of the spirit, that it is emboldened, um, offering love to a broken world, mm. uh, that it is, we're not in this like business of self-preservation. We're not in a business at all. We are right. here to offer abundant life, hope. We're in a we're in a time too, like the United Methodist Church has its problems, uh, but the world, we are growing up in a time where people are familiar with the feelings of apocalypse, where it's not just the end of an era, it is the end of the era. Um, people are seeing all these things and equating it to death. Mm-hmm. And sometimes things do have to die in order to resurrect. We have to let go of our plans so that way God can move and then we're not holding on too tightly. And I'm hoping that some of the death that we may be feeling is space that the spirit will offer us resurrection. Mm. Uh, yeah. And there's, Amen. there's tangible ways that that looks. I think that we've talked about disability. I hope that we're a conscience to the government and I hope that we're the church, the United Methodist church is a voice that is against polarization, that is in support of true sort of this like repair and reconciliation of being able to like come together and exist and not just exist, but to live and love and serve together. Um, yeah, those are some of the things that I think of when I think about my hope for the future. Yeah. Thank you, Tess. That's good. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. Yeah. We just so appreciate you. We're proud of you, the hard work that you're doing, all that you're experiencing, the ways that you're growing. Um, as a candidate for the Kentucky United Methodist Church, we just are, are really excited uh, uh, for you and for your leadership. And um, it's just great spending some time with you. Keep going. Keep Finish going. well. Keep it up. <laughs> yeah. We love you. We're proud of you. Yeah. Um, there's the one. So if you've listened to one of our episodes, you know that we end with some hot seat questions. That is sort of like rapid fire, uh, five <laughs> questions. Don't think too hard about it. Just first thing that pops in your head. Um, yep. We're calling it our Holy Roast segment. Uh, so Got if it. you're ready, it's hot seat time. That's what we say at Lufon, <sighs> hot seat. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, Odd familiar. Yeah. Um, okay, first one, what are you reading right now? And this can either be for fun or school. What are you reading right now? For fun, I am reading uh, The Ever Expansive Spirit of God by Bishop Peggy Johnson. Um, for school, I am reading, oh gosh, uh, Fresh Expressions in a Digital Age by Michael Beck yep. and yeah. Picardo, I think. Picardo? Roz. Yeah, yeah Roz yeah. Picardo. Nice. I think nice. so. Yeah. I have that on my shelf. Um, what's keeping you alive right now? I've started a Sabbath practice. That Yay. is another thing that's Good. become more real and important to me since in seminary and I got to watercolor with some paints I got for Christmas, and that was really fun. The people around me are keeping me alive. My church is keeping me alive. I work in children's ministry here, and our first Sunday back, we had 52 kids. Wow. And that was amazing. Yeah. And they weren't even singing, or like there wasn't like a 
quote unquote special reason. A program. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. It was just church. It was just the community. It was just a chance of worship God and our pews were packed. And that's oh, giving me life. Yeah, that's beautiful. It's like they need an intern for children's ministry, huh? <laughs> uh, what are five things on your nightstand right now? Or just things. If you can't reach five, it's okay. <laughs> I have my Alexa on my nightstand, a lamp, a Bible, a thing of tissues, Kleenexes, and a song bowl. Like one of those that like you hit and it makes a little sound. And Ooh. if you use the thing you hit it with. And uh, around the circle, it sings. Oh, wow. Wow. That sounds lovely. Yeah. Good way to relax before you yeah. fall asleep, right? That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite way to unwind after a long day? Cooking. Oh. Uh, I do not like cleaning up after, but like being able to just like, I'm going to do something fun and use my hands and make something creative. And then I get the benefit of eating it after. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, I wish I liked to cook. That's amazing. I love that. <laughs> okay, uh, last question. You're called up to bat, like you're a major league baseball player. You're called up to bat. What is your walk-up song? Uh, either All I Do Is Win or um, <laughs> the song My Year. And there's like the chorus, this going to be my year, this my year. Oh, and so just kind of yeah. like, it's my year. I'm going to bat. Yeah. I'm going <laughs> to preach. I'm going to. Yeah, I like it. Oh, I like good. it. All I do is win was mine. Yeah. My choice mm -hmm. when we did this. In it's the a classic. Yeah. Yep. Episode. I also said the reason I chose Duke from the beginning, we'll tie this into all I do is win, is because they won a national <laughs> championship the year before I came to Duke. Mm. And then they oh. finished with a national championship the year I left Duke. Yeah, isn't that great? And the all year I do is that win. Kentucky was undefeated. It was my third year. And I was really cocky going into all that. Just walking around campus <laughs> in my UK gear, talking to all my UNC Duke friends. We're like, yeah. And then we lost to Wisconsin in the final four. I could not show my face on campus. Luckily, it was reading week. It was Holy Week, and I was home in my warm embrace of Kentucky. I was home to heal, um, you know, because heaven must be a Kentucky kind of place, you know? All things got to die to resurrect again, I guess. So, not so Watch out. Here we come this year, 2024. Watch out. Yeah, good luck. Well, thank you so much, Tess, for spending some time for uh, with us here at the Holy Rose, with us and our podcast friends yeah. out there. We are, yeah, we, are, we love you. We are encouraged by this conversation. Mm -hmm. I can't wait for others to hear it, to experience yep. it. If you are listening or viewing this right now, we do encourage you, leave us a review. Um, comment on any one of our social media posts and let us know what your favorite part. If you have any questions for Tess, maybe we'll send her, yeah. her send them her way and to engage with that. If you are thinking about theological education as a calling um, to either teach or to lead in the local church or ministry in general, we'd love to have that conversation too and can point you to the right people to have that conversation with whatever mm -hmm. area you're looking for. So if you're a friend of the podcast, let us know um, you're thinking about it and we'd love to point you in the right direction Absolutely. because I think it, it is a, a beautiful way um, to journey throughout this life, whether you're thinking about leading a local church, a nonprofit, mm -hmm. being on church staff, or, or just want to receive a uh, a different kind of worldview. There you go. You'd be a gift for the world. Yeah, I'd love to have that conversation. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Taz. Thanks, Taz. Good to see you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah absolutely.